Welcome to Humanizing Marketing. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Marketing Cloudcast in our new series, Humanizing Marketing, talking about how the combination of data and empathy creates engaging experience in magical marketing moments. In this episode, we have a very important topic, don't we, Marty? It's all about the unified customer profile. Yeah, I was a Gartner analyst before I joined Salesforce for many years. And right around 2016, we started to notice an influx of inquiry requests around customer data platform. And it was a category that emerged seemingly from nowhere. We're going to actually meet its inventor today. It's very exciting. It's very exciting, yeah. I've I've never seen a hotter category. And um, to explain it better, we have, you know, two very knowledgeable people, including the co-author of a book that I wrote um, called Customer Data Platforms. Interestingly enough, it just came out from Wiley, uh, Chris O'Hara, my co-author. So we'll have him on. And then also the head of the Customer Data Platform Institute, the guy who uh, invented the term, David Robb. Marty, why do you think the CDP has become so popular more recently in the last few years. I think a lot of our listeners are probably curious what they have to know and just keep an eye out for. The problem is the need that it's that the CDP meets is this idea of disconnected data or what we will say using the cliche silo data. Marketers do have dozens of systems that have information about the same customer in it. And that no real way to stitch them together other than these kind of very kludgy manual methods. So it's it's a way to organize and get a handle on data about customers and prospects. And that's very um, enticing. But there are a lot of roads to the rainbow, Tina. You know, there's, there's a lot of uh, detail and there's a lot of complexity that's hidden underneath this simple term, customer data platform. Absolutely. And once we understand that more, we can start to really create those one-on-one personalized engagement moments that we all thrive to create and achieve. And so this episode will really help build the foundation to help us understand how we can best do that with a CDP. So the first guest we have on the show is David Rabb, who's the creator and founder of the CDP category, and he'll share why it's so vital to have a CDP today and what the future looks like for CDPs. So it's a very interesting conversation. And then we'll have a chat with our good friend, Chris O'Hara, and we'll unpack how we can better understand our customers and connect with them in a more humanized, relevant way through the power of a CDP. Now, before we kick off this really great episode and conversation, we do want to thank our great partners and friends at WordPress VIP. Now, here are a few words from WordPress VIP's CEO, Nick Gurner. Customers will actually pay for the better customer experience. And really, from our perspective, we think content really sits at the heart of digital customer experiences. Um, And I like to think about this as like, look, there is no customer experience if we don't have content. Marketing is not simply just one point where we acquire a customer through a very transactional nature. This is a relationship that we're building with customers. And and content really gets at the heart of that uh, through authenticity, which I think is just something that just generally customers are expecting in this. Now, everyone, let's give a warm welcome and applause to our first guest, David Rapp. 
So today we have a very special guest, someone I'm always excited to talk about, and actually a legend, not only in his own mind, ah. but actually a legend in general. And uh, this is David Robb, who is the founder and the CEO of the Customer Data Platform Institute, which you can access at cdpinstitute.org. And I recommend checking out some of the content there. It's a vendor neutral organization that is focused on, you guessed it, the customer data platform, the CDP. And David has the distinction of being the person who named this category back in 2013. And we have a blog post to prove it on his customer experience matrix, where he came up with that name. We're going to ask him uh, how that happened. Uh, he's been the principal of Rob Associates since 1987. And he's a consultant, a speaker, a traveler, an executive coach. For all I know, he coaches Little League. And he does everything. So, David, welcome to the show. Marty, Tina, glad to be here. Uh, good to know that I'm a legend. <laughs> you are. So, David, I want to ask you about your original blog post, which I perused and I have in front of me. The headline is, I've discovered a new class of system, the customer data platform. There's all kinds of interesting stuff here, but one sentence I want to quote is, given how much vendors and analysts love to create new categories, I'm genuinely perplexed that no one has yet named this one. <laughs> this was 2013. What happened? Well, what happened was that I have been a consultant and an analyst for a long time. And all of a sudden, back in around that 2013 timeframe, I started to see systems that were building their own customer database as part of the system, which doesn't today sound particularly exciting. But back then, up until that time, you usually had sort of marketing tools over here like campaign management software. And those would simply attach to a custom-built database, a data warehouse or a marketing database or whatever we used to call it back then. But they were always a separate thing. And all of a sudden around then, I started to see, wait, hey, here's systems that are both applications like a campaign manager that are actually building their own database. So that's a big deal because building those custom data warehouses was expensive and time consuming and difficult and it wasn't really no fun at all. So to see somebody able to buy, buy a package to do that was actually a fairly dramatic change and it needed a name. And I went out and I found the three-letter acronym where the letters were not taken because that's very important when you name a category, not be confused. So there's a cardiopulmonary disease and there's a few other things that use the, which is CPD. COPD, or, I know. Yeah, yeah. Or COP or CP. <laughs> and when we first started C CDP, Google used to say, oh, you must have typed it wrong when you get all this stuff about cardiopulmonary disease. After a while, that went away. Did it have to be three letters, David, though? Did you consider four? It, no, it has to be three. Oh, come on, Marty. Uh, you know that. Is, three letters. is that a rule? T T TLA, three-letter acronym is essential. Absolutely. Now, I know I was, a, I was a Gartner in 2016. That would be three years later, and it really took off. But it took a while to percolate. So there were three years in there where one didn't hear that much about CDP, certainly not as much as we do today. What caused the category to really explode? You know, I've never figured that out, I, I will tell you. Because I had named it and I had written about it. If you really peruse that blog, you know, you'll see that over the years, after the initial post, there were quite a few pieces talking about CDP and a little, little bit of leverage here and there. But, you know, didn't, people didn't pay that much attention. Then all of a sudden, 2016, it just took off. So if you can just tell our listeners who, who have heard of the category and maybe even have one, but um, what does a CDP actually do? 
So the CDP Institute's definition is packaged software that builds a unified, persistent customer database accessible to other systems. So I told you why packaged software is part of that, because that was what was new about it. Unified, persistent customer database means that the data pulls together information from other systems and unifies it. Then it stores it someplace in its own database. And then accessible to other systems, of course, is self-evident, but it shares it out because there are a lot of other systems that do some of those things. There's a lot of systems like a data warehouse that pulls together customer data and even shares it out, but it's not packaged software. Things like integration platforms don't store the data. They pull in data from a lot of different sources. They share it out another way, but they don't really keep their own copy of it. So the definition really has very specific implications for contrasting the CDP with other systems that also store customer data. Now, I noticed there are a lot of vendors out there who call themselves CDPs. Do you have big, broad categories of CDP that you deal with, or does it is it always on a case-by-case basis? Well, we, we address it in two ways. We say in order to be a CDP, you have to do certain things. And we have this real CDP program that lists five characteristics because that's how many fingers I have. <laughs> so the, so the, the specific checklist is, you know, it's got to take in data from all sources. It's got to keep all the details. It's got to store the data persistently. It's got to create those unified profiles and expose them as profiles. And it has to have the, the sharing. It has to expose, share the data out with other systems. So that's a fairly specific set of requirements. We actually are adding a sixth one, which will be uh, real-time access. And real-time is a complicated topic. So we settled on those things because we have this thought that people expect to do certain things with the CDP. And in order to do the things that they expect, like to like to access a complete picture of each customer or to share data across systems, they kind of have to have a system that does those five things. So we say, well, as long as you do the five core things, you're a CDP. If you do other stuff, well, that's just dandy. And we do have categories for those things. Do you have any thoughts about where the CDP category is going? I, I take it from what you said, you don't think it's going away. Sounds pretty central to me. <laughs> we are pretty confident that the functionality will still be there, that, that pretty much in the indefinite future, companies are going to want a unified view of their customer data. So there will be in diagram box architecture diagrams over time. There's always going to be a box that says, here's a CDP. Here's where all my customer data comes together, is unified, and then is exposed to everybody else. So we think the functionality is here to stay, whether CDP as a class of so software is here to stay. Some people will buy CDPs. Some people will have embedded CDPs. We talk about CDP inside those big uh, delivery or those big operational CDP platforms, uh, or they'll build their own and have something that has CDP functionality. In terms of the initial requesters for CDP, at least in our experience, where is, is the marketing department? It's marketers, people who are doing campaigns. Lately, it seems that there are requests coming from outside of marketing. Uh, is it possible that the CDP can be central to business transformation more broadly and that the buyers will be in the future all over the place and it won't be so marketing centric? Yeah, that's one of the big uh, trends in the industry. And in fact, when we first started the Institute in 2016, the original definition was marketing controlled. 
software that builds a unified persistent customer. We, we swap I remember mar- that. Yeah. We, we swap marketing control away and, and we put package software in there. In, in good part, precisely because of that reason, we saw people outside of marketing using it. What we really see is that there's almost a split happening in the CDP industry. There are the, the data CDPs, the ones that just really build the unified profiles, those are kind of migrating upstream to an enterprise-wide system because, of course, there are lots of uses for customer data outside of marketing. And then we see the other CDPs that are, have those analytical or campaign functionality that are really marketing-specific. So the systems that have that broader scope of function, those are staying down in the marketing department because the marketers would rather buy one system by and large. They don't want to buy a lot of systems and have to take them together. But the IT guys who run the enterprise level stuff, they know they have a bunch of other systems that are going to connect to the CDP. So the fact that it happens to have some marketing capabilities doesn't matter to them. Maybe it's even a detriment because the in a big company, you know, they're already using marketing cloud or whatever they're using for their delivery systems. And they're not really all that interested usually in swapping that out for something that happens to be built into a CDP. So they're more likely to buy a specialist tool that really just focuses on the data side. So it is definitely a split happening. So a lot of our audiences are actually all over the world. We have a global audience. You mentioned the importance of having a CDP. And a lot of our listeners are probably thinking, hmm, do I need to get that now? Is there a sense of urgency? What are the things that they really need to know and understand before they actually invest in a CDP? The way you know you see you need a CDP is if there's something you can't do you have a problem that the CDP is going to solve, right? So then the next question, well, okay, what problem would that be? And the answer to that question is if it's a problem that requires sharing data across systems, because that's the problem the CDP solves. It's the breaking down of the silos. Every use case that we look at that really is a core CDP use case is a use case that somehow requires sharing data, either moving it from one system to the other or combining data from two systems so you can analyze them together to get a more complete view of your customer or, or coordinating even, even activities across two touchpoint systems with some, something central in between. So that's what really makes it a CDP. So if you have a lot of problems that you're looking at and saying, oh, man, I can't get this system's data and I need it in that system over there, that probably says, yeah, I should be looking at a CDP. One other follow-up question on that is, is the sense of urgency for it. Because even when we've been in conversations talking to customers who are perusing and browsing and comparing different CDPs, they often try to think about, well, what, how do I know that this CDP is better than this CDP or should I try to create one in-house? What is your word of advice for really knowing how to choose the right CDP that is best for the organization that they sit in? Well, there's no shortcut. My advice is do your homework figure out what your use cases are, figure out what it is that you're actually trying to accomplish, figure out what you need to do to get that accomplished, figure out what of that you can't already do because you're only buying the CDP to fill the gaps, not to duplicate things you already can do, and then find a CDP that does that. So the obvious question then, David, if I may ask is, what is the benefit? You know, I have to focus on what the output is or what I'm going to use the CDP for. Where are people finding really good benefit in these projects? I'm sure it varies. It's interesting, actually. What you see when you do research into the published case studies is you see a lot of published case studies that are about sort of the analytical applications, you know, lifetime value calculation, the customer profile, journey analysis, because that's the first thing you do. Because, like, you never had the data assembled before. If you ask marketers what they intend to do, 
Well, they want to do things like, you know, quicker retargeting or better personalization, you know, more accurate personalization, all the kind of things that actually generate revenue. So there, there is a real dichotomy between the easy stuff that you tend to do first and the stuff that, that you know, that makes people's eyes, the marketer's eyes light up because that's how they know they're going to actually make money and, and justify the ROI of these things. So you got to do both, of course. But uh, the reality is that, that you're going to start off with, with the basic stuff, and you should, because that's the stuff that you get the quicker re- uh, value from. So you, you do the stuff that you can do first, easiest, and then you add the more complicated things later on. Yeah, it does seem like a single view of the customer on its own has no value. It needs to either yield insights or lead to some kind of action that's beneficial. What do you think the future holds for the CDB category, David? Well, it, you know, as I said, there's a few things going on. One is this split between the data-only CDPs and the more broad application CDPs. And a lot of people coming into the industry, kind of backing into it, that are, as I say, operational systems like, say, e-commerce that or, or web content management. Then, of course, we do have companies like Salesforce coming in who are adding CDP capability to an existing marketing cloud or, or, or set of software. So that'll kind of push a lot of the other vendors around to the edges, to more niche platforms. You can build a specialized functionality on the CDP side, deal with special data, you know, all the things that specialists do. So I think a lot of the vendors are going to end up either starting there and staying there, or possibly even some of them who are now trying to do multiple things might end up specializing in one industry. So David, the rapid fire questions just come from us taking reflection of the crazy learning experiences that we had in 2020. So the first question that we have, looking back at the pandemic, because for all of us, it was the first time humanity had to realize we had to pause and reflect and take a step back and not travel anymore, unfortunately. Do you have any silver linings in your life that you look back at and are grateful for? Well, actually, I had been traveling so much (laughs) that... It was almost nice to get a little bit of, bit of a break for about six months. Yeah. I will say, right, I'm totally ready to travel again now. But uh, no, it, was, it, it was a little nice to at least have a little bit of time off. That's great. Do you have any feeling routines or habits that help helped influence who you are? Well, you know, oddly enough, the, the pandemic was very disruptive of my morning routine. So my morning routine used to be go out to the gym. Yeah. And I couldn't go out to the gym. So that messed me up entirely, actually. And I developed a shocking taste for sleeping in, which I did not used to have. I used to get up at 6.30 religiously, and now, see, on 7, look at the clock, on 7, you know, really get out of bed. Did you add any new habits or activities that replaced your gym exercise routine? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I did eventually break out, you know, the, 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 the weight set and, and do a little bit of weightlifting, or weightlifting, but some sort of exercise in the morning. Uh, yeah. Since I can't, can't be totally, since I am sitting all day, I have to do something. Otherwise, uh, you know, my body just, just gets very cranky. Well, thank you so much, David. It's been a pleasure to have you. And thank you for all the work you do on behalf of the CDP. And we do uh, recommend our listeners go and check out the Customer Data Platform Institute.org, as well as your, uh, your blog and sign up for your newsletter. Great. Thank you very much. It was quite fascinating to hear how the CDP category started and the expansion of where it's going. 
Now, to build on this topic, we have Chris O'Hara, who leads product marketing for our data-driven marketing solutions here at Salesforce. And we'll learn more on how to best use CDPs to create more meaningful marketing. Everyone, round of applause for Chris O'Hara. Chris is an old friend of mine. He's a VP of product marketing at Salesforce and really a master marketer. He he pretty much heads up the deep thoughts in the data and identity products. And he, com- he comes to us from Crux, where he was leader on the marketing team of that DMP. And he's really added a lot to Salesforce over the years, as well as being a thought leader outside the company. And I knew him back before Salesforce days. So I want to welcome you to the show, Chris. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Tina. Thank you, Marty. I do want to ask you, Chris, uh, we, we co-authored a book together. You and I call customer data platforms uh, just came out. We do want to talk about that for a bit. But before we get there, you have written other books in addition to Data Driven, of course, which was a national bestseller about data driven marketing. There are some other books in your portfolio as well, aren't there, Chris? There are, Marty. I like to call it the O'Hara Six Pack. And these are um, works generally aligned to uh, the enjoyment of food and beverages. So um, I've, I've written a number of them. The first book was uh, called The Bloody Mary, which was about actually the drink, The Bloody Mary. And then uh, um, probably my, my most favorite book I wrote was Great American Beer, which was kind of a marketing book because it looked at all the great old cheap beers of the 50s through the 70s. Well, I have read that book and it's delightful. Each page is its own little journey. <laughs> so the customer data platform uh, book, we wrote that last year together, you and I, during the lockdown. And it's about this hot new category, newish category of tech. What is this thing? What does it do? Well, it's interesting. So we've had a bunch of different and impactful eras in, in marketing technology. I think the first big one was dominated by uh, email service providers, ESPs. And really, that's like step one in marketing. And that market really matured. You're seeing so much intelligence and cool things built into email, the ability to build journeys. So, you know, that, that era continues and it's, it's maturing. But then we saw the DMP era. And this was about understanding people in their anonymous state when they're browsing on apps and, and websites. This, of course, was brought about by the Internet, Right. And then now, as sort of browsers change and privacy rules change, we're really in the first or second inning of this very dramatic CDP era. And the CDP isn't necessarily uh, just the technology that's going to grow over the next 10 years. CDP is really a proxy for the biggest problem. How do I unify the data? How do I understand more about my customers? How can I get a platform that connects to all the different innovation I want to do? And what it's going to do is force the conversation for companies to consider how they are doing management of their data today and how they can change and improve that and build it into a sustainable long-term first-party data strategy such that they can be better marketers and and understand their customers better. So I think the next 10 years um, will revolve around CDP but not necessarily be 100% about just the category of technology. There are a couple of listeners who know that they need to change their internal data culture because it's either there's data everywhere and they're trying to wrap their mind around CDP. So what is your word of advice for them as they try to create this data-rich culture within their organizations so that they can be successful to be able to manage and create that single source of truth for their customers? So as companies really try to figure out their, their data management strategy, 
And um, why they're so important today is that over the years, a lot of marketers have started storing all kinds of customer data in a lot of different places. Like they'll store it in their call center so they'll know who's calling up. They'll store it in their email system so they can send really good personalized emails. They'll have other notions of consumers in a data management platform where they might be storing their cookie data or device identities. And really, unless you connect all this stuff together, you're treating the customer as almost three to five different people, depending on the channel the company is interacting with you on. A marketer wants to have a single view of the customer. Marketers always wanted to have a single view of the customer ever since you and I have been alive. It's gotten more difficult because there are more channels, uh, more devices, more IDs, more regulation. Things move a lot faster. There's so much more data. But in general, the the category of CDP is trying to solve an old problem. So that's why we say it's not really new. The problem isn't new. The category itself isn't new. But some of the solutions are are new and they're developing. And Chris, I think we can all agree that marketers face so many different challenges. And as marketers, I think it's a good combination to have data and empathy and marketing to really do what's right for the customer and create those really relevant humanized experiences. And so what do you see are the biggest challenges today that brands and organizations face trying to combine the right data, but also being empathetic in how they're actually reaching out and engaging with them? We're sort of today on on this like literal knife's edge of privacy versus personalization. And the way I describe it is, you know, I have the Dunkin' Donuts app, right? And it's amazing. You can go in the Dunkin' Donuts app, figure out your coffee, get a donut or a breakfast sandwich, whatever. Though I love the fact that, you know, you can do that, pull up to the window and get your food like that. And where it sort of went from hyper-personalization to humanization is when we entered COVID, right? And that was really the only way for a long period of time in, in Long Island to get your order from Dunkin' Donuts. And I was very grateful for that. So I think if you think of moments where marketers can use data you are willing to give them in a privacy-safe way and you volunteer to them, you feel like you're being spoken to as a person. They know your preferences. They know I like black coffee, medium size. They know... My favorite donut is uh, vanilla frosted. And that's where I have a relationship now with Dunkin' Donuts. And you know, of the 5,000 emails I get every month, there are probably 10 companies that I feel communicate with me that know my preferences, know what I like. I welcome their emails. So I keep them out of my spam box. That's a cherished relationship I have with a very small number of brands. But when they leap over the fence... Maybe I'm just walking past the Dunkin' Donuts and I haven't opted into this. And they say, hey, Chris, walk inside right now and get a free donut and 20% off your coffee. But I didn't want that communication. Then it gets creepy. Then it gets, you're not respecting my privacy. So brands have to walk with a very, very careful line between using what you allow them to have in terms of data to really make things more personalized and special to you. And they can't really go over that edge without creating chaos because as we've learned in our state of marketing report, 79 or 80% of customers who feel like a brand has done that will go away and find a competitor who will be more than happy to treat them like a, like a person rather than a consumer. 
Well, there's another area too, I think, Chris, which is around empathy to what's happening in the world. And we mm-hmm. saw that vividly last year because you're talking about re- respecting boundaries. And, and I, I agree with that completely. And But last year, for instance, the beginning of the pandemic, quite a few brands sort of paused their messaging. At first, it might have been slightly cheesy. But uh, on the other hand, it is more empathetic because people are going through a, a massive shift into this high risk te- moment, you know, moment in history. And we want our brands to reflect that at least they're aware of that. You know, again, it's a very fine and delicate balance. It's hard to do it well. I think you can do it well with better understanding of who your consumers and customers are. And that's uh, also part of what we're seeing with empathy. You can't empathize with someone you don't understand or you don't know. So in comes the CDP to sort of um, a greater greater understanding of customers, where they are in the moment, and uh, how they might or might not react to such an offer or message, right? So we talked about that contention point of trying to create that deep personalization where there's trust and connection for you to get that Dunkin' Donuts because you know you know and love them and they know who you are. But I think brands sometimes try to not overstep that personal preference, but they're also trying to maintain their growth goals within the organization. So what's a really good way and how you would encourage organization to really make sure that they are on the right path forward to creating the right personalized experience for them without overstepping or breaking that trust and connection that takes so long to nurture? Yeah, it's a really hard conversation to have with certain types of marketers. Like if you look, for example, at the CPG category, here's traditionally a marketer that doesn't have a first-party relationship with their customer, not going to their website. Maybe I'm signing up for their um, their loyalty club so I can get a discount when I go to the grocery store. But they generally sell through retailers. They don't really have a relationship with me, even though I may love and value that brand. So for them, what's happened or what is happening is they used to be able, through advertising, gather a lot of data on people. And then if people clicked or engaged with an ad, that was sort of a proxy for brand engagement. Oh, well, you know, this person obviously has some compatibility with this brand or the next thing. And that was largely driven by cookies and data management platforms, which are kind of fading from prominence as the cookie goes away and big uh, browsers like Chrome and Apple Safari stop allowing this user tracking. So now, all of a sudden, if you don't have that first-party relationship with a customer, you're all of a sudden in a panic because you have to start building your database. You have to start offering consumers something of value so that they will share your their data back with you as a brand. And then you have to take it from there. So for certain companies like that, it's about maturing and growing their first-party data assets so they can get a better understanding uh, of the people who um, engage with their brand. But for bigger companies, you know, they have a lot of data already on you. And now they have to kind of understand, with all this data under management, all these customers, how do I take the next step and go from delivering them a service and create more value. So uh, it's almost bifurcated. So there, there are sort of these data-poor marketers who need to implement a whole entirely new first-party data strategy. And then there's these very data-rich marketers who, as you described, Tina, you have to go from just pushing growth and start providing more of an empathetic, personalized experience so that they can 
keep and retain their customers and offer them more services ongoing. I think we're ready for the rapid fire questions now, Marty. I think we're ready. Let's do it. All right. So actually, I will start with what are your silver linings of this pandemic, Chris? That's an easy one. I wrote a a great book with my friend Marty. I will say, actually, what was the inspiration behind the book? Was this something that you knew you wanted to do before the pandemic? Or were you guys just chatting and you're like, let's just write a book about it? I think uh, it dominated a lot of our lunchtime conversations over the last five years. Uh, We both have written books before. Uh, Marty is a little bit more of a successful author than I am. But, (laughs) you know, I figured uh, we could team up and try to make sense of, you know, every conversation we have with customers kind of around this topic. Why not just... We'll put it in a book and, and try to codify some of the things we've learned. So, Chris, do you have any daily routines or habits that have helped influence who you are? Yeah, I think I, uh, I don't know if it's a daily routine. Well, I guess it is. But I try to read, um, you know, like one good book a week just to try to. A whole book. You finish a whole book in one week. I try to. I mean, it's not wow. war and peace or anything, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, that get, A, gets your mind off work. It helps you understand how other people think. And um, it opens your, your eyes to different stuff. And uh, I think we all in our jobs, we get too single-threaded to what we're doing, like, you know, yes. marketing CDPs. And it's good to step outside of that for a few hours a night. So uh, the last question I want to ask you is, uh, it's on the theme of our of our program here, but what, what does humanizing marketing mean to you ultimately? I mean, to me, it's like making things seem real, like booking a flight, going from soup to nuts, personalizing everything from booking on the website, going into the app, entering into the the airline club, getting greeted on the plane. Those are, you know, if you can just do half of that stuff by connecting a couple of things together and uh, meeting like some very basic expectations consumers have, like, you know, when you order something online and it doesn't go well and you call the call center, you know, why are you asking me for my order number? I, I gave it to you. You have my order. You should be using the same system. Those are the teeny little things that maybe companies don't focus enough on. But at the end of the day, uh, when that call goes well and that data is connected and you feel like uh, you're an important customer to a company, that is worth a million dollars worth of advertising, right? Because once you feel that as a consumer, I think you want to keep coming back. And you'll give the company tons of chances to fail and make it right if you've established that little piece of trust. That's really great advice. We cannot thank you enough for your time and your wisdom sharing with our audiences around the world. We wish you the best of luck in this new year in creating all these incredible, powerful, humanizing marketing moments. Thank you again, guys. Appreciate it. Wow, what a really great conversation that we had with David and Chris. It's so insightful to hear more about CDP, the category, the maturity of it, and really what we can look out for. And so, Marty, for those listeners right now who are thinking about, okay, I I need to get myself a CDP, what what would you tell them? Get two. Why not? They're on sale. (laughs) Just kidding. Well, there's a lot. I mean, we've given you a lot to think about and, and these guests were, were great. I think a good place to start actually is the customer data platform book. That's a really uh, good available point. available at booksellers nearby. Yeah. But, you know, basically the idea is what are you hoping to get out of the CDP? Start with the with the end in mind. What is the use case? Are you trying to improve, you know, response to email? Are you, are you trying to improve response on your website? If there's another way to get that goal with tools you already have, do it that way. 
but you know if there's something that you can't do today that would require a CDP, that's that would put you down the road of trying to see if you need one. Really great advice. So thank you everyone for joining us. Thank you to our wonderful friends at WordPress VIP for sponsoring this series and these wonderful episodes. Our next episode will feature the WordPress VIP CMO. So stay tuned as we talk about who is the customer of today and tomorrow. Thanks everyone. Bye.